we're doing? Good, 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 good. Uh, my name is Sean. If you are uh, expecting Will up here, too bad, so sad. Um, <laughs> now he's taking a little bit of time off, but like uh, we told you, we've got a brand new series we're starting next week that you're really going to be a part of. Um, last week we wrapped up a series on anxiety, and I know that uh, it's gotten a lot of talk, and a lot of people were really uh, touched by it and really found some, some um, strength in it. So you can always go to our podcast or go to our website to uh, check those out. Well, this morning I want to finish up a series I started um, about four months ago. My talks are kind of like a bad book, you know what I'm saying? Like, pick it up, like there's some good stuff there, but I'll pick it up later on, okay? This is kind of where we are now. We're picking it up later on. So um, there I talked about vulnerability and how we, um, uh, it's the fuel, it's the catalyst uh, to our relationships, and so we need to uh, practice vulnerability. Uh, but there's a, there's a problem um, with, with that, that it's hard to practice vulnerability when we don't have confidence, when we don't feel safe. And I think there is something um, that's causing each of us sometimes to not feel safe, to not really lean in uh, to the relationships that we want to lean into, that we hold back a little bit. Um, to kind of get it started, I want to share a story with you. About a month ago, I did a wedding. I normally don't do weddings that much, and the reason why is this, okay? Um, there's a difference between giving a talk like this and doing a wedding. And giving a talk like this, it's like being a chef, all right? Every time you make a certain meal, it's going to have all the ingredients in it, but it may have a little bit more here or a little bit less there. If you come to all three of these talks, you're going to hear a little bit of something more, a little bit of something there. And I like that. I like having the flexibility of that. When you do a wedding, it's like being a baker, okay? You got to be really careful with your measurements. You got to put the ingredients in all at the right time. You got to be really precise. I mean, you got to know things like people's names and things like that. I mean, just, I mean, big, big chunk things are hard to remember, you know what I'm saying? I mean, so I don't really like doing weddings that much. I was doing a wedding for a family friend, and um, I should not have done the wedding, okay? <laughs> all of my fears about doing weddings, um, it, they all came to a culmination at this day. And so just to kind of give you one snippet into it, um, when the, the bride walks down, you know, we, we have them, everybody stand to, to honor her for walking down, and that's wonderful and everything. No, most pastors um, then seat people. I forgot to seat people. So they had to stand up through the whole <laughs> terrible, okay? Oh, I didn't even realize it until the end. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is just <laughs> heaping on even more. And so it's funny, and I'm laughing with you right now, but in that moment, it was not funny to me, okay? In that moment, I was angry. I was mad. I was just, I, I was livid. And so Kim comes to me, and she goes, oh, honey, that was so good. And I go, you liar. Why are you, like, that's not good. You're just lying to me. That was the worst thing ever. You know, my biggest fear is that I'm going to be the joke at their, like, their 50th wedding anniversary. You know, remember the pastor? He was such an idiot. He couldn't do that. You know, that's, that's, okay, that's too much right now. But okay, but that's, that's what I was feeling. But in that moment, I was feeling something that I think each of us feel sometimes. I was feeling naked. I was feeling exposed. All my defenses were gone. I didn't have an answer to it. And so I did what most of us do. I got mad. I pulled back. I shut down. I ruined the night for my wife and for my daughters. Because I just didn't feel like I had it. And I think each of us, if we're honest, there are times in our life when we feel that way. Because if we're really honest, we all know that we're missing something. 
We all know that there's a piece of us that's empty. It's like, it's like this glass block. Each of us has a glass block inside of us. And each of us know that just like this glass box, it's empty. And because it's empty, we know we really don't have anything for anyone. We don't, we don't really have a lot to give. And so therefore, it becomes a driving force in our life. This emptiness and this feeling of, 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 of fear that comes with it has a name. And that we call it shame. All right, Brene Brown is one of the leading researchers on shame and vulnerability. And this is how, from her research, this is the definition that she's come up with. The intense, painful feeling or experience of knowing we are flawed and therefore unworthy of love and belonging. That's not a Christian thing. That's just a society thing. When the research comes back, this is what it's saying about, about shame. And so this talk that I'm going to give today, most of us are not going to enjoy it. I didn't enjoy preparing it, I'll tell you that much. Because here's what I know. Each of us deals with shame. But each of us tries to avoid shame. But the more we talk about shame, the more shame loses its power. And so I want to talk about it today. Because I think that if we do, if we get a grip, a grip on this, something that plagues all of us can go away. Because God has an answer for this. Men and women experience shame in different ways. Okay, We all experience, but there are some triggers that have come up through the research that, that really associate more with women and, and more with men. It doesn't mean that we, we don't experience some of it. It's just they resonate with them for women. Some of your shame triggers are this. Shame is having your flaws exposed. None of us like this. But ladies, with the research that Brene has done, has said this is just a, a huge trigger for you. You can come out in a lot of different situations. The next one is this. Shame is knowing your past doesn't go away. It doesn't even mean that you did something in your past that you're ashamed of. Maybe it's the family you came from. Maybe it's something that they've done that you know that no matter what you do, no matter how far you go from your past, it always seems to catch back up with you. And, and also, shame is having to have everything under control. I mean, I, I see this in my wife and my daughters, that, that feeling like, man, I've got I've to show the world that I've got, I've got this. I've got it under control. You can wrap up kind of the, the feeling for, for women's shame as this. The shame message for women is, I'm not enough. I'm not enough at home. I'm not enough of a wife. I'm not enough of, of a parent. I'm not enough of a friend. Uh, I'm not enough of a girlfriend. I'm not enough of, a, of a, a daughter. I'm not enough. I'm not enough. It drives us. Men, ours look a little bit different. But they go from this. Shame is failure. Guys, we don't ever want to fail at anything. And if we do, we certainly don't want anyone to know about it. Second one, shame is a sense of being defective. You see, that's the, the, the little secret that men don't tell you. We all know that we're defective in some way. We don't want anyone to know it, though. Shame is being soft. We cannot show weakness. Matter of fact, you can wrap up our shame trigger with this. Shame is not being strong enough. 
I mean, that's our greatest fear, that we will not be strong enough for our family, for our friends, to lead the company, to be in the job that we're in, to be a, a father, to be a son. We fear not being strong enough. And man, whenever that start, hat comes up, it triggers us. And we start having to deal with it. Now, how do we deal with shame whenever it, it comes on? Well, we do it in one of three ways, and each of us kind of use it in these same things. Either we um, blame, we blow up, or we shut down. Either we start looking for someone or something to blame, take the attention, hey, I'm empty over here, and I don't want you to see this, so I want you to look over there at that. It's that's problem. It, it wasn't mine. It, it's because of that. It's their situation. Don't look over here. Or we blow up. We just get really mad and angry, and we make people back up. Hey, you need to get away. You're getting too close. You're getting close. You're going to see that I'm empty over here. Or we pull back. You're getting too close. I need to withdraw. I need to sever this relationship because you're getting too close and you're going to see that I really don't have anything to offer you. You see, guys, that's the problem. We believe that if the world really saw how empty we were inside and how much we don't have to offer, then they would go, why do I need to be around you? Why do you need to be a part of our tribe if you can't offer us something? So shame becomes the driving force in our life. It's what makes us strive harder at work. It makes us what strive harder as a family. It is the thing that after you've worked all day long and you've gone to 14 countless things, you start making homemade cookies until one in the morning for your kid's party because you want every mother in that other mother to know that you've got it together and you're not going to bring store-bought. There's laughter because you've all done it. <laughs> I've helped my wife do it. <laughs> it's what's driving us. It's a major player in our life. And we try and act like it's not there. We try and act like it's not really something that we have to deal with. If I went to any one of you and said, hey, do you have a shame problem? You would go, no, I don't have a shame problem. I got an anger problem. I got a, um, uh, a fussy problem. We can name a whole bunch of things that I got problems with, but I don't got a shame problem. You got a shame problem. I got a shame problem. We all do. And this morning, I want us to look and figure out where this came from. When this glass box came into being, because it wasn't always there, but we get to see when it happened. So to do that, we're going to be over in Genesis 3, and in Genesis 3, we get the story of Adam and Eve. Now, God's already made um, the garden. He's already made the universe. He's already made all, everything. So Adam and Eve are just enjoying God's creation. So they're bebopping around, eating. Life is good, and Eve decides to have a conversation with a snake. Now, the snake is pretty worldly, man. He's, he goes around. He's seen things that she hadn't seen. He says, hey, have you tried this new diet? Everyone's trying this new diet. You need to be doing this new diet. It's called the GEF diet, good and evil fruit diet, okay? It is so incredible. I mean, all the people in Hollywood are doing it. You've got to be on this diet. It is going to make you smarter, and it's going to make your life richer. And Eve says, you know what? I didn't even know I had a life problem. But man, now that you say it, I guess 
I do. My husband and I need this diet. This is what we've been looking for. We didn't even know we needed it, but now you tell us we need this diet. This is going to make it better. And I'm telling you right now, I will try any diet other than this kale diet we've been on because kale is terrible. Can I get an amen? Yeah. Some foodies out there are like, no, kale is wonderful. No, it's not. I don't care. <laughs> so they try the diet. But here's the problem. Before they tried, they knew God had already told them, this diet is not for you. It will not live up to its hype. And if you do it, you will not be happy. He says, you know what? I don't care. I need this diet. So she takes a little of the fruit. She tries it. She gives it to her husband. He tries it. And then we pick up the story in verse 7, chapter 3. It says this, at that moment, their eyes were open and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover up themselves. And before we unpack this, I want to go back to Brene Brown's definition of shame real quick. Shame is the intense, painful feeling or experience of knowing we are flawed and therefore unworthy of love and belonging. In that moment, they felt something they had never felt before. Before they had the fruit, life was good. They felt belonging. They felt love. They felt connection. They felt they had a purpose. In a, in a millisecond, all that went away. All that was gone. They no longer felt loved. They no longer felt belonging. What happened? You see, in that moment when they chose to go down their own path, when they chose to go and do their own thing, the Spirit of God left them. And when the Spirit of God left them, this glass box was formed. Because the place the Spirit of God dwelt was now empty. And so there was a void in their life that they'd never felt before. They felt naked, and they felt shame. And the peace, and the love, and the confidence, and the belonging that they once had, they desperately wanted to have back. But it was gone. So God comes um, for his evening stroll through the garden, which he does every evening, with Adam and Eve. And so he calls out to Adam, Adam, come to me, Adam. Come, come to me, Adam. Let's, let's go for our walk. Now, Adam is like, wait a second, uh, I don't want God to see me in all my nakedness and everything, and so uh, it's kind of pointless for me to try and hide from God, because he's God, obviously, so he calls out from God from behind um, some bushes and says, hey, God, um, I can't come for a stroll today. Uh, Eve still hasn't got all the laundry done. It's laundry day. I got nothing to wear. <laughs> and he says, who told you you need clothes to be with me? Did you start the diet I told you not to start? And this is Adam's response. It was the woman you gave me who gave me the fruit I ate. Then the Lord God asked the woman, what have you done? The serpent deceived me, she replied. That's why I ate it. Guys, where there is blame, there is shame. Anytime in your life, when you start wanting to blame something, you're covering up for shame. It doesn't matter if it's big or if it is small. 
if your gut reaction is to go find something to blame, you're covering up for shame. So whenever you miss an appointment with a friend for lunch, and they text you and say, hey, what happened? You don't immediately go back, I'm a terrible person, I'm so sorry, it just slipped my mind. No, I'm so sorry my calendar got completely messed up. You know how these this new phones are. You can't, you can't make anything happen with them. Oh, I'm so sorry there was an emergency I had to be to. I couldn't get to the phone and call you. Even if we don't give the excuse, our brain starts thinking through the excuse to give, right? Why? Because if we are honest and say, you know what? We just forgot. And what we're saying to them is we're flawed. And since we're flawed, you're probably not going to anything to do with us. You're probably not going to be with me if you really knew how flawed I was. So I want to take the attention off of me and put it somewhere else. I want to cover up and not let anyone know. And so I want to blame. I want to blame. I want to blame. And that's what Adam and Eve did. They blamed, and, and God said, okay. But now i got to prepare you for what life is going to be life like without this. You see, you're about to go into a world you've created, Adam and Eve. The things that you're about to walk into, you set in motion. And I need to prepare you for that. Eve, it's going to be more difficult for you to have children. Adam, when you go out and, and, and try and look for food, it's not going to be like it was in the garden. You're going to have to work really hard to get enough to eat and scrape by. It's going to be difficult. But the beautiful thing is God doesn't leave them in this place. Now, God had a plan for them. He had a, a, a plan to take care of things. And he doesn't wait until Adam and Eve are gone to start the plan. He starts it immediately. We find the next verse says this. Then the man Adam named his wife Eve because she would be the mother of all who lived. God showed his love for Eve by making her the beginning of his redemption story. You see, he says, Eve, you started this whole mess we're going down. But it wouldn't have mattered if it was you. Adam would have eventually done it. And all of us in this room would have eventually done it. We all say, hey, I want to go my way. I want to choose my way. I don't trust God in this. Let me go see what I can do. But he doesn't hold it against Eve. He says, you know what? You're going to be the beginning of my redemption story. Through your children and their children and their children, eventually I will bring the Savior to the world. To make things right again. And you're going to be a part of that story, Eve. God loves Eve. Even in the midst of her mess up. God loves you and me in the midst of our mess up. So if Eve's the beginning of this story, what's the end of it? Well, if we will skip ahead in time, all the way to Hebrews. Now, the writer of Hebrews is writing after Jesus' death. He's writing to believers, uh, like many of you in this room, who have put their faith in God, and he's trying to encourage them to keep their faith, keep trusting in God, keep moving forward. And this is what he writes to them. 
We do this by keeping our eye on Jesus. We renew our faith. We stay strong in him. The champion who initiated and perfected our faith, because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he's seated in a place of honor beside God's throne. As I love this verse. Because what it tells us is this. It tells us why Jesus went to the cross. The joy that awaited him. What awaited him? Oh, it must have been being with God in heaven. That wasn't it. He already had that. What he didn't have was a perfect relationship with you and with you and with me. That was the joy that drove him to the cross to reconnect with us in a way we hadn't been able to be connected since before they ate the fruit. That was what drove him to the cross. He did it joyfully because God has always wanted us to be perfect again, to have a relationship that is perfect with him. And Jesus is the key to that. You see, Jesus didn't just come to die for us. He died to be with us. In his death, he unlocked our glass box. He made it so that it could be full. He is the key. He is the culmination of God's plan to redeem and renew us. All ends with him. But what do we get? What is it that fills our glass box? Well, we hear from Jesus' own words. He tells us. Over in John 14, 16-7, John is talking to his disciples. He's teaching them, and he tells them this. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads you into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't regard him, recognize him. See, the world keeps saying, I know I have a, an emptiness problem, but I'm going to figure out what I need to fill it. I'm going to become successful. I'm going to become wealthy. I'm going to have um, the best relationship. I have the best family. If I have all these things, then all of a sudden, all that emptiness will go away. It will not. It won't. It's a lie. But we keep running after it. He's bringing us something better. And that better is the Holy Spirit. See, the Holy Spirit is the only thing that can abide it. But I love the last part of this. But you know him because he lives with you now. And later he will be in you. You see, the Holy Spirit had been walking with the disciples as they were with Jesus. They had known the presence of the Holy Spirit. What Jesus is telling them is, you're about to experience something greater than the presence of the Holy Spirit. When I die, I'm going to unlock the key to your emptiness, and the Holy Spirit will now be in you and fill up that empty space. Fill up that thing you keep trying to hide from the world. You'll no longer have to do it because you will be full. See, <clears throat> our glass box can only be filled with the Holy Spirit. 
It's the only thing that fits in here. We can try all kinds of things, but it's the Holy Spirit's place to reside. Because that's where it once was in the beginning. In God's creation, we were always supposed to be one with Him. His Spirit, that was the role of His Spirit, was to be in us. Jesus made that possible again. Jesus makes it to where God's plan can be fulfilled again. It is through our filling of the Holy Spirit that we get to realize that we are enough. We are more than enough. Because God says, you are a beautiful temple that I would be proud to dwell in. You are enough. My son died for you. And now my Holy Spirit will live in you if you will invite me in. You're enough. Each and every one of us are enough because Jesus said we were. He said it on the cross. He didn't go there regretting it. He went there with joy because he knew that God's plan was about to be made right. So how do we do this? How do we, how do we take advantage of, of this gift that God has given to us? Well, first, we need to own our story. Guys, we need to just be honest with our story. It would have been real easy for me never have told that story about that wedding ever again. Okay? It sounds like a, a, a silly thing, and when I tell it to you, it is silly, but in that moment, it wasn't silly to me. In that moment, everything that I had ever experienced, every shame, every insecurity, every weakness that I had was all on display in that moment. I wanted to run and hide, and it'd be very easy for me to never tell that story. But when I own my story, I get to write the end of the story. And we get to write the end of our stories if we will own our story. I told my wife that night that I was just tired. When we rode home in silence, and I ruined her evening, and there was this heaviness in the car, and she was trying to ask what was going on, I just told her I'm tired. It wasn't until later that I could do the next part of it. And that's this. Admit we have a shame problem. It wasn't until the next morning I had to walk into her while she's having coffee and go, I'm sorry. And say, honey, I just felt completely vulnerable last night. And for a man, that's not easy to do, guys. To show weakness even to our spouse is not something easy to do. But in that moment, she loved me. And she said, you're enough. She said, thank you. It brought us closer. It was one of the hardest things I ever do to walk in there and go, the reason why I was a butt is because I was feeling shame. But it was the best thing for our relationship. Because in the past, I'd have just let it go. And I want you guys to experience that to be able to be confident in moving out in vulnerability and fuel the depths of your relationships to new places the next thing we need to do is realize trust that God's spirit is all we need 
This one right here, guys, it's so easy to say, and we as believers say it all the time. God's all we need. But if we're really honest, those of us that are walking with the Lord don't trust in the Lord. Our actions tell everyone that we're really trying to make it, we've got to do something. Our fear, our anxiety, our worry, our stress is saying we don't really trust in God. And guess what? He doesn't hold it against us. He knows. You're not less of a believer because you're doing this. You're just not going to get to receiving the power of what God has to offer to us. He's waiting for you to trust him. He's doing everything in his power to get you to trust him. But he will not force you. But we don't really get to enjoy the strength and the benefits of what he's given to us unless we start trusting that he is enough. Not what we do, not what we accomplish, not what we can show the world. He is enough. And the last thing is this. When we're able to do this, when we are able to do this, we can give because we are complete. If we're real honest, many of the times we give so that we get. It is, it is I'm going to give you this and you give me that. I need filling and I'm going to help try and fill you. But, but that's it. When I can give out of this, I don't need anything back because I'm already full. When I can rest secure that God is all I need, that he's filled my empty space, that he's taking care of my empty box, I'm not really empty, I'm full, then all of a sudden now I can love as Jesus loved. I can give as Jesus gives. I can move confidently into relationships. I can be vulnerable because I have been filled. Man, there's so much benefit, so much strength in that. Guys, I love this story. I go back to the story of Adam and Eve all the time because it reminds me of the way things were supposed to be. And it reminds me of what Jesus has done. You see, Jesus didn't come to give us a golden ticket into a place that we call heaven. No, the gospel story is that Jesus came so that we could become one with the God of the universe. That his spirit would rest in our spirit and we would be one. That when he calls, we come running instead of hiding. And that when we call, he is there. Dear God, we just come to you. Lord, I just thank you that you didn't leave us in that place. Lord, you could have very easily just said, you guys messed up. Lord, you had a plan. And that plan was nothing that we would do, but it was everything you would do. That plan was to make us one with you again. Lord, we thank you that Jesus tells us on the cross that we are worth it, that we have value, that we are loved, and that he is willing to pay the ultimate price so that we can be reunited with you again. And Lord, I know that each of us as believers struggle to believe that you are enough to fill the void we've felt our whole life. In the midst of chaos, in the midst of storms, we want to look to things instead of looking to you. Lord, I thank you for your patience. 
I thank you for your spirit that keeps telling us, let go, trust me, you are loved and you belong and I will take care of you. If that's you here today, if you've been walking with God for a long time or maybe just a short while, but you know you're struggling to believe that God's enough. You're struggling to believe that he does fill every empty void in you. I want you to know you're not alone. It's just part of the journey, but I do want to pray for you. So if that's you right now, if you relate to that, can you just raise your hand where you are and just say, that's me. I'm feeling that this morning. I just thank you for the honesty and the vulnerability in this room, for fighting back shame and saying, no, that's my journey, that's my story, that's who I am. And Lord, I just pray for everyone, including myself, Lord, we would take up your strength. We would take up your fullness. And Lord, we would use it to be vulnerable in our relationships. We use it to be vulnerable with you. And Lord, we would draw others to us because we have been filled by you. And if you're here this morning and you can honestly say that you've never trusted God, you've never asked him to fill that void in your life, but the morning you want to do it, just quietly right where you are, just say this prayer with me. Just say, God, I invite you in. I know you won't force yourself on me, but I know that you've been lovingly inviting me and calling me to you. And today I say, come in. Fill the place that only you can fill. I trust you with my life. And I want to journey with you for the rest of it. If that's you this morning, would you be bold enough just to raise your hand and say, that's me. I'm trusting God today. I'm giving him everything. God, I just thank you for what you're doing in this room. Whether our hand is raised and I can see it or not, but I know you're making an impact on each and every one of us. And I thank you. And I encourage everyone who's making that commitment this morning, just share it. Share it with somebody who's going to celebrate with you. That is your next step. It's that simple. Just share that you have accepted Jesus into your life. God, go with us. Go with us out into this week. May we have confidence, Lord, to love boldly, to give generously, and to find you and everyone we come in contact with because you complete us. You fill us up because you love us and we belong to you. In your son's holy name we pray, amen. Guys, you're going to want to be back next week. It's going to be a phenomenal series. You do not want to miss it. We'll see you guys. Have a great week.